Good morning. Jeff Stevens here. Start off with a little King and Country, a little drummer boy. Great song. Great song all year, not just the holiday season, but uh, definitely a great band. Awesome to watch live, if you have not. Um, coming to you this morning with, uh, you know, just uh, this overwhelming sense of a lot going on in the world and where we should be as believers and how we should be responding to uh, things uh, politically and as far as our health and uh, what we should be doing as Christians. And uh, I, I don't typically put titles on um, these podcasts, uh, you know, headers, yes, but if I was to put a title on this, it would be Wake Up American Christian, It's Christmas. You know, we, as believers, uh, it seems like this year in many ways we've set aside the idea that every year we take time out to celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, of God with us. We definitely set aside, uh, you know, a twelfth of our year to decorating and eating together and loving one another and worshiping together. And we have um, changed that this year. And realizing throughout history, it's probably, it's changed a lot. I know for me, uh, personally it has, and for some of you listening, it may have as well, where maybe you spent your Christmas somewhere else other than at home with family, maybe uh, in a combat zone somewhere, um, someplace not quite as nice, someplace where they don't celebrate uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior. But in this particular case this year, here I sit in the United States, and the, there's very little about Christmas anywhere. Everything is about COVID, uh, the orders put out by our governors, um, the election, the election being overturned, the lawsuits, the bickering back and forth between politicians. And uh, in the midst of all of that, you know, where do we stand? How do we respond as Christians? First, I would say this. Um, these unlawful orders to mask up and to stay home and to stay away from one another. Uh, if you're a believer, I went over this uh, a couple podcasts ago, I talked about it on our Wednesday, Wednesday night church service. If you watch any of those videos, um, this is it. The Bible, God, Jesus Christ is clear. The apostles were clear um, when they set up the first century church. We are not to neglect meeting together. Um, <laughs> perspective is a funny thing. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second, but the Bible is crystal clear that we are supposed to continue to meet one another, to break bread, to do communion, to uh, celebrate the church, to worship our God. We are supposed to do it in fellowship, period. There's no other way around it. Now, realizing there are times in history where people haven't had the ability to do that, there is absolutely no way that you're going to get a reasonable person to believe that a virus that has a 99.7% survival rate and is really only detrimental to people that have some sort of comorbidity or predisposition to having a huge problem with this, that the rest of us cannot meet together. 
the one thing I'm not saying is don't be safe if you do have pre-existing medical conditions. What I am saying is <laughs> the church needs to meet together. We are the hands and feet of our Lord. We meet together, we worship, we go into the community, we serve. Are we going to stop serving this year? Are we not going to give out food, blankets? Are we not going to love? Are we not going to remind our society that um, the whole reason we set this period aside is because of Jesus? You know, where's the keep Christ in Christmas uh, type of spirit that we're supposed to keep up, the one that uh, the secularists just hate and continue to remind us that it's a secular holiday and, and we're worshiping trees? Where's that idea that we uh, step out and say, no, we worship uh, the God of all creation, and we continue to do so in a way uh, that pierces the hearts of our neighbors? It is our responsibility to make sure that these unlawful orders are, are stood against, not in a, in a rebel-rousing way, but in a way where we stand in truth and solidarity. Um, you know, non-believers like to do things like utilize the Bible out of context in a way that they think they can um, uh, trip us up and get us to, uh, you know, look back at the Word of God. It, one is, you know, doing these things is a way to uh, love your neighbor. Um, I would like to remind for the person who does not read the Bible regularly that in the book of Mark in chapter 12 where uh, Jesus uh, reminds them to love their neighbors that just before that Christ is reminding them that they don't know the scriptures, uh, that they don't know what they're talking about. And he gives them a lesson and he rebukes them. So I would say that to somebody who said, hey, put on a mask to love your neighbor, stay at home to love your neighbor. What do you mean? Uh, are you using the Bible as a way to try to trip me up? Because I think you're taking it out of context. The idea of loving your neighbor is the idea of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. The idea of loving your neighbor is bringing blankets, it's bringing food, it's serving the weak, the needy, the widow. That is what we are called to do. We are not called to sit at home because there is a virus that's only killing 0.3% of the population and, and all of those are people who are already sick. That is, that is just ridiculous. So I would say absolutely stand against that. I would go on with this. If you need an example for what the church looks like when the government and the authorities don't like it and they stand against it, I would encourage you to open a Bible and go to the book of Acts and read chapters 4 and 5. Of course, we have Christ coming back and spending time with his disciples, the apostles and his disciples, first three chapters, Christ is going to do works with them. We're going to see Christ ascend into heaven. Acts 4 and 5, we're going to see the church begin to take shape. <laughs> you know how it takes shape first? The apostles standing out on Solomon's portico preaching to the point where it is so offensive to the leadership that they throw them in jail. They lay hands on them. That means be physical with so there was resistance. They didn't just say, okay, we'll go home, like the government said, and we'll sit here and do what we're told and hope that our podcast or our, our video message from our church makes it out to enough people that it, 
it makes them feel at home that maybe if everybody logs into the same video at the same time that it somehow meets the requirement of breaking bread together in solidarity for the church no they met together they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and they healed people and they 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 served people to the point where the authorities arrested them on a few occasions it even got to the point where if you continue right into Acts 5 as you start getting towards the end Towards the beginning, you'll see the the sermon, but at the end, you're going to see Stephen be stoned to death. Why does Stephen get stoned to death? Because he boldly stands against the authorities and says, you guys just keep ignoring the God of all creation. You've ignored him since the beginning of time. He's been showing himself to you. He showed himself through scripture. He showed himself through his uh, uh, keeping of his promises to you, and you continue to put him down. And then the authorities just get tired of them. That's the example of the rebel rouser that the Christian is. The Christian continues to preach and walk in solidarity with one another in the church and with Christ. This we know that the church is not going to be liked. The church, there tougher times are going to continue to come. Hardships are going to continue to come. We need to continue to stand against them. Uh, there are just so many examples uh, um, where we see in James 1, you know, where James tells us, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's going to be tests for us. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 5 that uh, we rejoice in our sufferings. These sufferings that uh, uh, he pushes through with endurance are often these. They are things where we are shamed where we are put down by our government, where we are tried to be held back. Uh, you know, <laughs> oddly enough, people have got this tattoo on them and they've got it written on their walls and written on the back window of their car. They've got T-shirts with it. They've got hats with it. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things who Christ who strengthens me. Well, I'll tell you right now, if on Sunday morning you're pulling up a video of church, you're not doing all things. You're doing nothing. So you need to do some introspection into your heart and read the Word of God and make a decision of whether or not you're going to be a good disciple and follow His Word and meet with one another. Um, you look in the Old Testament. Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. God is with you wherever you go. Another thing that you'll see, you know, as a, as a punchline, we can turn around and use it as a, come on, Christian, it's Christmas. We're supposed to be celebrating the birth of our Savior. And instead, we sit on our hands. It's unacceptable. Endurance is a very important part of the Word of God. And we see this theme run through in places like Timothy. If we endure we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Do we deny him if we just sit at home and do nothing? And we are promised difficult times. Remember, uh, constantly throughout the word of God, we are promised difficult times. Um, you know, Christ reminds us, even in John 16, in the world that we'll have tribulation. And then he says to us, take heart, I've overcome the world. So while we're here, it's going to be bad. But at the end of the game, we've got him. That he is our prize. 
He is the reason we continue to push forward. He is the reason that we continue to serve, continue to love, continue to make our way out in our community. We don't listen to government authorities who are, for Americans, one, unlawful, unconstitutional, but two, unbiblical. There is no place in the Bible you can tell me a leader giving unbiblical edicts can tell us that there is a certain way we are supposed to act, react, or live our lives. We are supposed to live as Christians, period. Um, Peter is clear in a couple of cases. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 1 and 6 and 7, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I wonder... When he talks about the testing of your faith, this becomes, these times become the testing of our faith, do they not? Because if you think it's just that addiction or that sex problem or that uh, um, depression that you deal with, that really is just a matter of you spending more time in the Word of God and you spending more time in prayer, just a little bit of discipline in your life. If you really think that's a trial, how about the government telling you to stay home and do nothing and the church not meet together? That is a trial. Are you willing to do something that you were told not to do as a means of being obedient to the word of God, obedient to the God of all creation, who's telling you to go find your neighbor. And we sit in church, and if you've heard it once, you've heard it a thousand times, the Great Commission. Go disciple people. You know, and we, this big, you know, we feel all tingly when the sermon gets done. Yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to disciple. We're going to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We're going to do all these uh, crazy things. And the government says, put on a mask, stay at your house. Don't talk to anybody. Don't get too close to anybody. You're going to all infect one another. All of you Christians, you're patient zero. You're killing everybody. We go, okay, we're going to stay at home. If just for a time. If just for a time somebody in your community doesn't receive Christ, what then? What then, Christian, that you have not reached someone for the gospel? What then that somebody does not hear uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ? What then if they never know the good news? What then if they go to their grave never knowing that there was something more? What then that you were not the hands and feet of Christ? What then? I say the government doesn't have any standing or authority over the word of God. It is up to us to continue to be lawful within the confines of our text that we are given as a revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to move on to this because I think it's important to say, because we're talking about the government a little bit, and that is the government is not your savior. There is nothing that our government or our president or our authorities can do to save our soul. Now, we can make political decisions that are based on our faith because even non-believing officials can make decisions that are in our best interest and allow us to perpetuate the gospel. 
but that doesn't mean that we're going to be saved by them. And although this might make me unpopular in circles, the government's not your savior, savior, nor is Donald Trump. He is not your savior. And that although he may say things that you like, he may do things that you like, I think definitely he has positioned himself as a person who uh, is willing to allow the Christian church to meet and worship, and he encourages churches to be together. That is very good, but he as the man cannot save you. It's only Jesus Christ. So remember, as we talk about God's sovereignty, that he is sovereign over even the leaders we don't like. Whether you didn't like President Obama or you don't like the incoming President Joe Biden because you think that they are satanic, you think that they are socialist or communist in the way that they do things, Remember that God is sovereign over all of them. So when you see a picture of Jesus with his hands on the shoulders of one president, remember that Jesus stands over all of them. It is very important to remember that our God is sovereign over all things, all leaders, and all time, and that he will not, as a president, save your soul. It is it is up to Jesus Christ to save your soul, and your submission and your obedience to him is the relationship that you should have only for that. And we continue to toil in good times and bad, no matter the president. We get comfortable under presidents that make it easy for us to worship and easy for us to live our lives as Christians. But I'll say this as well, we get soft. We get soft because we're not tested. We get soft and prosperity churches and fake churches pop everywhere and people print Jesus t-shirts by the millions and it does nothing for the gospel. The gospel is really tested and true and it is spread the way it is supposed to be spread when times are tough. Remember, our first century church fathers were hunted and killed hunted and killed under leaders who hated them. They were not spreading the gospel at massive church gatherings of eighteen or 20,000 people where people lifted their hands and told that if they planted a seed, they would make millions of dollars. No. They met in homes. They met in small churches. They spread the word of God through loving one another and they were hunted and killed by leaders who hated them. That is it. Our government will not save us. A certain president will not save us. I want to remind you that the current president, Donald Trump, although many things he does allow us to have freedoms as Christians to worship, that he said publicly that he is unrepentant and that the person that he put as the um, religious leader of the country, the person who prays with the president, Paula White, is a prosperity preacher. She's a false preacher. That the Bible's clear that women are not pastors, preachers, and teachers. And she, she is just a rich charlatan. And this is who we have standing at the top. It is not up to them. It is up to us as the believer in the church to be the hands and feet of Christ. It is up to us to stop mixing the gospel with government. We live out the gospel no matter the government. And our God 
is sovereign over the last president, the current president. He'll be sovereign over the next one, no matter who it is, no matter what. And you may think that you've got some sort of prophecy. It doesn't matter who it is. For us, the Christian, what matters is that we act in response to that as believers who are going to spread the gospel to our neighbors and serve our community, period. Don't mince my words. I am a patriot, and I believe that we fight for our freedoms. I spent the majority of my life uh, putting myself in a position where I, I fought for our freedoms. I went overseas numerous times for our freedoms. It's up to us to fight for our freedoms here as Americans, as patriots, and we will stand and we will do that. And those are part of the, the mix of theonomy, right? They are not theocracy where the church and the government are one, but as leaders in our community, we conduct ourselves and we ex expect our leaders as Christians to conduct themselves in a way where we drive the government a certain way. But we don't always get what we want. So as patriots, we will stand up and we will rise up. We will do what's best for our communities and our families, but that is separate as the response that we give as Christians must be in solidarity and as the Acts 4 and 5, as the rebel rousers, we will continue to meet. We will continue to fight. We will not allow a government, no matter who it is, to tell us what we can do. We will continue to worship him. I say all that to say this. It's Christmas time. And it is important... Um, that we meet together and that we love together and that we serve together. This is a really, it's an easy time for us to meet people where their needs are. And it always has been. Remember, we've got Christers, right? Christmas and Easter visitors to the church. If your church is closed at Christmas this year and those people who are feeling the call uh, don't have a place to go, if there's not a warm door to walk in wherever you live, that they might hear the gospel, you're wrong. This is a time of year, remember this and Easter is when people will go to your church who don't typically go there and they're gonna hear a message they don't typically hear. And if you're closed, they won't ever hear it. This is a good time to make your church, your, your living room or whatever that might be, a place where somebody hears the word of God. Very, very important. And I would challenge you that you get with your church and your church leadership and you find a way to make that happen. No matter what the government says, that you stand like those first century Christians did on Solomon's portico and you preach the word of God and you do it in a way that people will hear you and people are healed. I don't mean healing like making their leg longer like these charlatans do. I mean healing like they hear the word of God and they say, that is Jesus Christ and he is my savior and I will love him because he first loved me. They give their life to him and he saves their soul. We can't do that if we're closed. It's important that we celebrate this Christmas. You know, the, the word of God is so full of prophecy. And I'm going to talk about this in an upcoming podcast. But this this prophecy, remember, we have got like 351 prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Bible. We've got, I think, 108 prophecies about Christ being born. 108 prophecies of Christ being born. If you take just eight of those 
prophecies and you fulfill them in such a specific way as Christ fulfilled it as to being born when he was born, who he was born to, where he was born, and that he visited Egypt. If you take all, if you take those first eight and you fulfill them in a way that Christ did, the probability of that happening is one to 10 in the 17th power. That is the probability of taking quarters and spreading them over the state of Texas two feet deep taking one quarter and placing a mark on that quarter and chucking it somewhere into that pile two feet deep over the entire state of Texas and telling a blind man to walk as far into Texas as he can and pick up one quarter. And when he does, he picks up the one that you marked. That is the probability of the promise of that prophecy. This is an amazing time where we are able to celebrate that God tells us the truth that God fulfills the prophecy of the Old Testament and the New, that God fulfills the prophecy of what Christ spoke here in our future where he allows us to live with him in eternity. He loves us. This is a time where we respond. Isaiah tells us in his prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's very important that we continue to celebrate this holy day, this holiday, that we meet together, that we worship him, that we share these times with our friends and our neighbors, and that we don't settle for what the government says, what the government does. That we open our eyes to the truth of being held back by Satan. And that we take this time to say no. That as obedient Christians, as loving Christians, that his promise is fulfilled through us. And that we don't worry about uh, physical threat. That we have more that we have more. We have the promise of a Savior. We have the promise of times getting worse. We have the promise that things will just continue to get worse and worse. If you need a reminder of that, you know, go to Mark 13 and just see the promise of people leading us astray, even from within the church. Go to Mark 13 and read it. Read about how there will be tribulation and brother will turn against brother and children against parents. Things are just gonna continue to get worse and worse. But you know what? We've got the promise. We've got the promise of the written word of God in John 5, 13. These things I have written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Our word of God, our living Bible, is the truth, and we believe it, and it is a promise to us. We have that promise of the living word where Christ says in John six forty seven, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me have eternal life. We have this promise in him that we celebrate this time of year. As we celebrate all year, this time of year, we celebrate the coming of that promise. 
and we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You have the Holy Spirit, believer, living inside of you. You should walk boldly in that, humbly yet boldly, in that we know that even though a government may try to hold us back from meeting together and loving one another and breaking bread with one another, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that yearns for fellowship, wants us to meet and love one another, serve our communities, serve one another in a way that glorifies God. So as I said at the beginning of this, I, I you know, wake up American Christian, it's Christmas time. We should be pulling up all those cool Christmas songs uh, where we are spending time together, worshiping, listening to music that uh, makes us feel good about ourselves and makes us feel good about our God. We should be going to our church, worshiping together, loving one another, breaking bread one another in solidarity, and enjoying this Christmas season because it's fulfillment of promise. It's a time we should be happy. God bless all of you. Merry Christmas to all of you. And stay on the grind. <laughs>